Part two, chapter four of Garcia Moreno by Gustin Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Drama of Riobamba, eighteen fifty nine. Ecuador was delivered from the twins, but the last surviving member of the infamous triumvirate, the savage Franco, remained, and Garcia Moreno's whole energies were now turned to accomplishing the difficult task of sending him to rejoin his two accomplices it was true that the provincial government represented almost the whole nation but how was it possible to defeat and disarm the usurper with the little army of carvajal and a handful of volunteers without guns or any of the munitions of war how could they hope to conquer the disciplined troops of franco assisted by five or six thousand peruvians and the cannons of the squadron which blockaded guayaquil the experience of tambuco had proved to Garcia Moreno the powerlessness of the greatest bravery against numbers and military skill. He began, therefore, by creating an army and sending the volunteers to have their military drill under experienced officers. Then he made an appeal to the whole country to raise a sufficient sum to maintain these men and to obtain horses, provisions, and all that was needed for the new army. But the apparently insurmountable difficulty was the want of arms. They had neither rifles or cannons nor ammunition. All these things were in Franco's hands. Despairing of obtaining any from abroad, Garcia Marina determined to manufacture them on the spot. In the hacienda of Chilo there was a large cotton manufactory, belonging to a friend of his, M. Juan Arguier. He transformed this into an arsenal and a cannon foundry. Thanks to his extraordinary and universal knowledge, he succeeded in procuring the necessary materials, and with no other assistant than a simple mechanician, he managed to turn out of this yard rifles of a rare perfection, and even cannons of a great size, like the Chimborazo and Cotopaxi, which for certainty of aim rivaled the best from European foundries, then powder, balls, shells, cartridges, and all the necessary ammunition. But with fearful labor all this entailed, and what an amount of study, to calculate with mathematical precision the different sights required to train the workmen in every branch of this new art, and to overlook himself every operation. All day he was at his foundry, all night in his study, seeking the solution of the many difficult problems which suggested themselves in this new manufacturer. But his prodigious activity and his iron constitution seemed to defy all fatigue, once, when he had just returned to Quito from a forced march from Guayaquil, he heard that the works of Chilo had been closed. Without stopping to give himself a moment's rest or food, he called for his horse and galloped the four leagues which separated the capital from Chilo, where he instantly set all the men to work again. Another time, after having made a long and perilous journey of forty-eight hours across the mountains, he arrived among his workmen in such a state of exhaustion that he dropped asleep as he got down from his horse and did not wake again for a long time i can conquer hunger and thirst he exclaimed afterwards but not sleep this was his great regret for the twenty-four hours were much too short for the work he had undertaken while preparing for war however he did not despair of arriving at a pacific solution of the difficulty one day he rode to peta where in a last interview with castilla he showed him his own proclamation, in which he had said that he did not make war against the people of Ecuador, but only against their tyrants. But Castilla formally demanded the ceding of a portion of the territory of Ecuador, on which condition alone he would recall his troops. Garcia Moreno indignantly rejected this proposal, and then tried to make one more appeal to the patriotism of Franco. 
pointing out to him the indelible stain which would attach itself to his name if he sold his country to the enemy and offering even to give up to him his place in the provisional government franco feigned to accept but to prove his sincerity garcia Marin proposed to him to bring his forces to guayaquil to commence hostilities against castilla caught in his own net franco positively refused and broke off the conference having thus exhausted all pacific means garcia Marino started again for quito to review the troops stationed on the road hardly had he quitted guayaquil than a troop of villains armed with poignards and revolvers set off to follow him but he managed to elude them by the extraordinary celerity of his movements at each station the assassins found he was ahead of them but after escaping from this danger he fell into another which threatened to be still more perilous after urbina's flight some of his troops had remained at riobamba and franco who knew their faithless and indisciplined character determined to bribe them to revolt and betray their chief garcia Marino, after having visited the troops at coranda arrived on the seventh of november at riobamba intending to rest there for a few days but in the middle of the night his frightened servants rushed up to him to say that the soldiers had revolted and their generals had declared against the provisional government and especially against its chief calm and silent garcia Marino was reflecting on what measures to take when the commandant cavero presented himself with all the insolence of a rebel and ordered him to give up his position never replied garcia Marino and as Cavero proceeded to threaten him, Enough, he cried, you may take my life, but you will never conquer my will. At a sign from Cavero, Captain Palacios arrested the intrepid representative of supreme power, and threw him into prison, announcing to him that if he persisted in his resolution, the morrow would be his last day. The officers and soldiers then gave themselves up to every sort of debauchery and excess, pillaging the different quarters of the town and leaving only a few sentinels at the door of the prison garcia Marino's first thought was to commend his soul to god feeling sure that these men would not hesitate to assassinate him without mercy but then with great calmness he began to think what he could do to prolong a life which was not he felt useless to his country from a garret window looking on the street he saw his guards enviously watching their more fortunate companions and he justly presumed that their love of drink and hope of plunder would induce them before long to desert their post and disobey their orders in order to share in the spoils at this moment a servant of one of his faithful friends managed to get near him for a moment and to whisper to him that if he could only unscrew one of the bars of the window he could easily scale the low wall of the prison while at the gate of the city a horse ready saddled was prepared for his flight tell your master replied garcia that I will leave this prison not by the window, but by the door through which I entered it. His provisions were realized. The guards dispersed one after the other, leaving him to be watched by one sentinel only within the walls. After a few moments of prayer and reflection, Garcia Marino drew near to this man and asked him in the tone of a master, or rather of a judge, To whom did you take an oath of fidelity? To the chief of the state, replied the soldier, trembling. The only legitimate chief of the state is myself, replied Garcia Marino. You owe, therefore, to me alone obedience and fidelity. Your officers are rebels and perjurers. Are you not ashamed to help them to these acts of violence, and to betray thus your God and your country? The soldier, struck with compunction, threw himself on his knees, and asked his pardon. I will forgive you, he replied, if you will obey me and do your duty. 
A few minutes later, with the aid of this man, he had left the prison, and accompanied by a faithful general, had escaped from Riobamba and galloped on to Calpi, where he had already summoned some of his best men to meet him. An hour later he found himself at Calpi, with fourteen brave men, determined to follow him to the death. Without giving them an instant to think, he retraced his steps to Riobamba, determined to capture the rebels and resume the command of the troops. When they returned to the town, amidst the universal pillage and destruction of the houses, a dead silence reigned after the orgies of the night. Some of the chiefs had gone off with their booty. The rest, including Palacios, the leader of the revolt, were sunk in a drunken sleep. Without a moment's hesitation, Garcia Moreno seized him with the principal bandits, and dragging them into the square, held a council of war. Palacios appeared at first too drunk to realize his position. Condemned to death, he answered with insolence, but the severe voice of Garcia Moreno recalled the reality to him. "'You have half an hour to prepare yourself for death,' he exclaimed, "'and not a moment more.' He sent for a priest to reconcile these guilty men with God, but Palacios refused his ministry, and at the time appointed the rebel fell under the balls of the soldiers. Several other officers shared the same fate. One captain only was spared— one of the principal ladies of the town, having asserted that he had not shared in the rebellion, but had been hiding in her house during the sacking of the town. Garcia Moreno, who was always just, at once granted him a free pardon. The death of their leaders terrified the soldiers, who were too thankful to be allowed to return to their old commanders. Garcia Moreno then resolved to pursue those who had escaped with their spoils to Macha. With his fourteen devoted followers, he arrived in that little town at midnight, the brigands having fallen asleep on the galleries which surrounded the square, plaza, their guns piled beside them, and sentinels being placed at the end of each avenue. Sword in hand, Garcia Marina advanced, the night being rainy and dark, and attached the first sentry, who would have fled, but was thrust through with a bayonet. Surprised in their sleep and in the dark, the rebels fancied themselves surrounded by a large number of troops. A few escaped, but eighty of them disarmed and garroted, were led back to Riobamba by Garcia's men, with orders to shoot the first who should attempt to escape. Garcia Marina now thought himself master of the position when another body of troops approached. A furious fight went on in the dark. Many were killed and wounded. "'Yield, brigands!' exclaimed Garcia Marino. His voice was recognized, and both sides discovered that they had made a fatal mistake." These fresh troops were not rebels, but faithful soldiers who had come in hot haste from Mbato to fight the rebels of Riobamba. After having mourned the deaths of these faithful friends, Garcia Marino, with a strong reinforcement, went on in pursuit of the rebels. He succeeded at last in capturing three hundred, who, after their term of imprisonment was over, were once more incorporated in the standing army. The remainder fled to the mountains, and there lived as brigands, which was, in fact, their habitual trade. Thus ended this terrible episode in Garcia Marina's life, which, but for the providence of God, might have had a most disastrous termination. The genius and bravery of one man had triumphed over treachery, a rebel army, and persistent bad luck. Exhausted with fatigue, and still more heartbroken at the thought of the state of anarchy of his country, Garcia Marina returned to Quito, there to organize the preparations for a campaign which had become inevitable against the pretended head of the Republic, in Guayaquil. End of part two, chapter four.